0: Remember the blizzard back in Manhattan in 1886. They say the traffic was tied up and folks were in a fix. That's the story that went around. But here's the real lowdown. Put the blame on me. This is Pamela Coon, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Well, last week, I offered you part one of my interview with Hollywood agent Bud Burton Moss, as he spoke about his work and relationship with screen legend, Ms. Rita Hayworth, who you just heard singing, Put the Blame on Mame. I want to remind all my listeners of the tantalizing story that Bud left us with at the end of that segment. So once again, here is Bud Moss from Part 1 on Center Stage with Pamela Kuhn. Bud Moss, I want to thank you for being on Center Stage with me. You have been so candid. Well, may
1: I leave you and your audience with one little moment when we came back to the hotel that evening? Of course. She could not thank me. Her head was on my shoulder as we were going up on the elevator. And when we finally got to our room, whenever we would go out, she would just say to me at the end of the evening, we had a two-bedroom suite overlooking the plaza and the, the Ritz Hotel and the uh, Prado. And I would just unhook her dress, and then I would depart into the other section of, my, uh, of our suite. As I was unhooking her and getting ready to go to my, off, uh, to my bedroom, she leaned over and she said, Bud, she said, you made me so happy. I'm just thrilled and excited about this evening. And she leaned over and she gave me a nice kiss on, on, on both cheeks. And I went to my bedroom and around maybe four thirty, five 5 o'clock in the morning, I could see the shadow of, of my door. It had been slightly open. And before I knew it, I could smell the the perfume that uh, that Rita would wear called arpege. And she came over and she sat on the edge of my bed and she said, but I really can't thank you. You've made my whole life totally different. And I want to thank you again. And Pamela, there was that brief moment of Rita kissing me on the lips. That just was like the curtain finally coming down on this journey. Mm. that I had waited so long to take with Rita Hayworth.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm feeling a slight frisson with that story, this intimate story given to me by Bud Burton Moss, our wonderful, legendary Hollywood agent. Bud is on the line right now. I want to welcome you back to center stage. You are the young boy who saw Rita Hayworth for the first time on the big screen, seeing the Ruben Mamoulian film, Blood and Sand. And now you are handling Miss Hayworth at a tender and difficult time in her late career. Welcome back, Bud.
1: Thank you very much, Pamela. It's a pleasure to be with you again.
0: It is such a pleasure to have you. I just have to ask the obvious question, because we're all dying to know. You know, here you you are looking at at Miss Rita Hayworth when you were a young boy and adoring her, and now you are unhooking her dress. You know, is there a finish to this story that you want to leave us with?
1: My journey, Pamela, with Rita, was so very special. Uh, From that morning after we started to pack up and get ready for our press conference and then get ready to go to Rome. We were coming to the Hilton Hotel, and in front of the hotel, I saw my long-lost friend, my old buddy Sidney Poitier, with his four daughters standing in front of the hotel, looking at some maps as if they were looking to take a tour. (laughs) I said to Rita, I said, I can't believe that Sidney is here. Let me get out, wait here, and I'll come back and get you. And I walked around our limousine, and I slowly came up behind Sidney, and I said, Mr. Poitier, the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel is that way. And he let out such a scream and a laugh as if to say, Buddy Moss, what are you doing in Madrid, Spain? We decided after we came down calmed down to have dinner that night and after the press conference Reed and I went back to the hotel and I called Sydney around five, six o'clock and I said, We're gonna take you to a restaurant called Casa Botin's, which is the oldest restaurant not only in Madrid, but is considered the oldest active restaurant in the world. Hmm. Dating back to 1725. My. And even Goya, the famous Goya, worked at Casa Botin while he was waiting to uh, be admitted to the School of uh, of Art.
0: Now, I want to clarify to my listeners that Sidney Poitier was actually your best man at your second marriage.
1: When I got married... My dear beloved Carolyn Moss in San Francisco, and Sydney and his dear wife Joanna flew up there to the home of Melvin Belli, who was one of the greatest legal torts at that time. Mm. And Sydney was my best man, and Joanna was the uh, the maid of honor. But. Coming back to our dinner at uh, Casa Votin's, which was famous for serving these little piglets, roasted piglets was their, their famous dish, and Sydney's daughters all kept saying, ooh, God, let me have a steak or let me have chicken. I can't eat those little tiny piglets. <laughs>
0: I don't know nope. that I could either, bud.
1: <laughs> right. So from there... We told Sydney that um, we were going to be heading on to Rome, and he said, strange, he said, I'm going to be heading on to Rome also. And Rita said, well, we're staying at the Cavalieri Hilton Hotel, which is on top of one of the famous what, what are the seven hills of Rome. Am I correct with that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has one of the few swimming pools, and any time you want to come up to go swimming, please feel free to. Well, Sydney and the girls went racing over to uh, Gucci's the next day when they were in Rome and bought some bathing suits.
0: Of course they did, yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, they would come up to the hotel, and when Rita was not in post-production, she would end up swimming in the pool with the kids. And uh, it was really kind of a, a marvelous moment to be with people way outside the, uh, the arena of the motion picture and television world. Well said. When we got back to um, New York t- with Rita to be with her daughter, uh, Princess Yasmin, we then had time to reflect on our journey, and it really was flawless in terms of the production and the cast and crew. Everybody just loved having the opportunity to work with the great Rita Hayworth.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Bud, one of the things I did at the opening of the show today was that I actually played one of the recordings of Rita Hayworth that exists with her playing acoustic guitar, and that was Put the Blame on Mame. I mean, she was often overdubbed um, in her musicals, and uh, apparently she did want to study voice, but studio head Harry Cohn always opposed it, so she took on her own voice lessons. You know, we know that she had been continually pushed about by men all of her life, from her original dancing partner, her father, to her various five husbands and several studio heads. Did you feel, Bud Moss, that Rita Hayworth felt that she was being heard for being herself, or did she just feel that she was a vehicle for men to make money?
1: Pamela, the early life of Rita Hayworth was looking back at it. it was a very unhappy time for her. Her father, who was this well-known flamenco dancer from Spain, and her mother, who was a wannabe Ziegfeld Folly girls, had worked their way out to Hollywood in hopes that, uh, that uh, they were going to have a, a career in the motion picture business. And uh, the father, who was quite a well-known alcoholic, would come to rehearsal with Rita. And this is uh, a, a true fact, that when he was drunk, he would end up raping her. And then, that afternoon, putting her in the car and driving over two hours down to Tijuana, where they would work all night at the various nightclubs... It was a very difficult time for her. Yes. And uh, apparently uh, she met a man whose name was Ed Judson. Mm -hmm. Some people thought he was a um, gangster. Some people thought he was a businessman. But he was the one who took her by the hand with a young publicist called Henry Rogers who became very famous with Rogers and Cowan PR firm here in Hollywood. And had Mr. Harry Cohen sign her to a seven-year contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how she got started.
0: Did she really get along with Harry Cohen? Not at all. Not at all, yeah. Well, a lot of people didn't, um, from what I understand. And, that is correct. And he was uh, leaning towards mobster, as I understand as well. Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. You know, Bud, you and I have spoken many times about Hollywood, and I understand you to be a man who treats all of his artists professionally with profound respect. I know that you were dealing with Rita in the 60s, into the 70s, when she was a very fragile, um, you know, middle-aged woman. And we know the um, Alzheimer's diagnosis was yet still in the future. She was prone to her outbursts. Now, you were handling her with kid gloves. I want to know how easy it was with Rita, Rita, even with the outbursts.
1: Well, one of the most difficult times, and this was going back to when Rita and I and Judy were going to Rome, uh, to London, mm-hmm. Rita was invited to be on the Russell Hardy television show. Russell Hardy was considered the Dan Rathers of English television, and Mm -hmm. it was kind of like an honor to be on the uh, Russell Hardy show. We uh, went off to London, and um, Judy went to sleep the minute we took off, and Rita and I decided to go upstairs and have, have dinner. And This was the first time in all the times that I really spent with Rita that I was stunned by what happened because we're having this dinner and all of a sudden she stood up and started to scream at me thinking that I was Gary Cooper Mm. and said, Gary, when are you going to stop sleeping with all these whores? you promised me that you would leave them alone and that you and I will be together forever. And she started to tremble and to shake, and finally the stewardess and Judy came racing upstairs and gave her some medication, and then calmed her down and um, and took her back to her seat. She, we, she dozed off, and most of us had time to, to sleep during part of the flight. we were now two hours out of London, when Judy and I went back upstairs for breakfast while Rita was asleep. And while we were upstairs having breakfast, the stewardess came racing up there and said, Mr. Moss, Miss Hayworth is waking everybody up. She's been drinking mimosas with a couple on their honeymoon that were sitting in front of her. And Judy and I raced down the stairs and gave Rita some more medication in hopes that she would calm down. Pamela, we were less than an hour out of London when the stewardess started to bring the first class passengers their coats and their jackets. All of a sudden, there was the stewardess holding Rita's new $10,000 mink coat. And Rita looked up at her and said, You bitch, you're stealing my coat. I'm going to call the police. And hauled off and slapped the flight attendant. And nearly knocking her to the floor, I managed just to barely catch her at that time. We sat Rita down again, and she looked like she was in a daze. I was stunned. I wasn't quite sure what to do. And after we landed, the captain came over to me and said, Mr. Moss, there's at least 50 in press standing right outside at the gate to meet Rita. And I told him that we're not going to do that, and we're going to try and quietly get off the plane after everybody leaves. Well, the captain had said, I'm going to bring around a portable staircase to the back of the plane and wait for everybody to leave and then I'm going to have one of my helpers and the co-pilot, the three of us, will take Rita down these stairs. Her legs were like her legs were like rubber, mm-hmm. Pamela. And we took step by step and just as we got to the last step before it she could get into the the limo. This golf cart came zooming by and there was this paparazzi on it who started shooting these most horrific photos of Rita that appeared around the world in the days to come. Yes, yes. Judy called Rita's daughter and gave her an update and Yasmin said, I want mom to come home immediately. And I said, Yasmin, I said, give me... 24 hours. I know she'll be fine, and we're going to do the show. The next morning, Jack Hawkins, who was a major star in England and a longtime friend of uh, Rita's, called and said to me, I have an idea that might calm the press down. He said, I want to charter a double decker bus and take <laughs> the press out to my golf course, and Rita and I are going to be hitting some balls and let them take some photos. Of Rita to see how well she looked. Well, that happened, and it was a great thought by uh, by Jack Hawkins. But when we started to get to the to the to the TV show, I could see Rita's hands trembling. I could see that she was slowly falling apart, and I questioned whether or not we were going to be able to make it. Mm-hmm. The minute Rita got on the stage and she looked at Russell Hardy. She could not move her mouth and the producer immediately cut to a commercial as if we were, and then we raced her off stage and took her back to the hotel and ended up packing up in the morning and returning to New York where Princess Jasmine was waiting for her mother at the Carlisle Hotel. But it was really one of the most Frustrating and disappointing things that I had to experience
0: of course, with Rita. Of course, yeah.
1: To have left this show and not to have been able to uh, give a give a good appearance. It was just a sad thing to see.
0: But you know, Bud, I've actually watched segments of that interview with Russell Harty. and in the beginning of the interview, she was very charming,
1: mm-hmm.
0: very charming. Yes. And because he, he's a very clever guy, he was the king of the talk shows in England at that time. And, and she sparred well with him up to a certain point. But her beauty, Bud, she was so beautiful on that show. It was difficult for you, and I know that the paparazzi in England are perhaps the worst in the world for being intrusive. The, no picture, the, yeah, the picture of the two of you when you came off the TWA flight is, is really quite tragic. I mean, for the legacy of the wonderful Rita Hayworth. I'm glad yeah. she had you with her. You know, over the years, um, Princess Yasmin has been a defining factor in Rita Hayworth's life. Um, what kind of relationship did you develop with Princess Yasmin? I, I gather you must have become very close.
1: We were very close, and uh, I admired her for her tenacity because, once again, nobody knew the word Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And Yasmin kept saying, I never know from day to day what Mom is going to do. Mm-hmm. She would invite six, eight people for dinner the next night, and when they came to the front door, Rita was having a moment and she said, "Who are you? Mm-hmm. What are you doing here?" Mm-hmm. He said, "Rita, we've come for dinner." I didn't invite you," and slammed the door right in their face. Mm-hmm. And they would have to walk away.
0: Sadly, she be, uh, she gained this notorious reputation for being an alcoholic. And, you know, this This is so unfortunate. It's just so unfortunate. Now we can look back and understand about the Alzheimer's. But at the time, it must have been very traumatic for Rita Hayworth.
1: Well, Yasmin and I had discussed this on numerous occasions. Rita was really not a big drinker. But from the minute she would have her first drink, along with the medication, that they had given her, it created the <laughs> the makings of an atomic bomb, because mm-hmm. when they hit, the two of them, this started her off in her tantrums, and it, she was uncon- uncontrollable.
0: It, it is so unfortunate, Bud Moss. So unfortunate. Now, do you have time to speak about your trip with Rita Hayworth to South America?
1: Judy and I and Rita were invited by Jorge Ginley, who was the owner of the world's famous Copacabana Beach Hotel, who turned out to be one of her lovers many, many years ago. And he said, when you are in Buenos Aires, where we had gone to do the Mirtha um, legrand television show, I want you to come and stay at my hotel for a couple of days, for some R and R before you go back to uh, to um, back to Hollywood. The reason, as I started to tell you about Buenos Aires, was the popular Mirtha Legrand was one of Argentina's major stars, and she was notorious. For redoing some of Rita Hayworth's movies in Argentina, as if she was the one who invented that that movie or created that movie, and uh, Rita knew that, and uh, they had become very good friends. Hmm. But once we got to the hotel from the uh, from the airport, a bomb literally exploded at the base of our hotel and security that was with us we had six in security they all leaned on us and put us on the floor to protect us at that time Mm -hmm. extraordinary Uh, we didn't realize that there was a mini war going on in uh, argentina at that time after she did the Le legrand television special Mirtha had hosted a dinner for 50 of the most prominent people in Buenos Aires, and many of the people were of Argentinian royalty. Mm -hmm. Judy and I noticed when we got to the dinner that she was already starting to wobble, and I alerted the security. I said to the security, stay close to this door because we might have to get out of here in a hurry. Mm -hmm. As we sat down for dinner, people started asking Rita different questions. They were just kind of like throwing everything that they could say is how about working with this person and that person. She got confused, and I knew at that point that we were minutes away from another explosion. Mm -hmm. And I said to Judy, get Rita up head to the back of the room as if you're taking her to the restroom. Security is waiting there to get you and Rita in the car, and I will follow you after I go back and talk to the people there and just say that she had to go home, that she was not feeling well. From the time that she got back to the hotel, and once again visualize this magnificent three-, four-bedroom suite that was loaded with some of the most beautiful arrangements of flowers. When we got back to the hotel, we put Rita to bed, and Judy said she was going to stay there, and I said, I'm going to go back to the restaurant and uh, make my apologies. By the time that I got back to the hotel, everybody had gone to sleep except Judy, who was sitting in the living room waiting for me, and we tried to figure out what we were gonna do because we wanted to try and get out of there and head to uh, Rio de Janeiro the next day. Judy and I went to sleep and in the morning, we got up and we walked into Rita's room and Pamela, she had taken these enormous arrangements of flowers and destroyed them and threw them all over the floor in the bedroom and it piled them up in the closet mm. as if she was a, a, a dog trying to hide something in, a, in the closet.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And when I said to her, Rita, do you realize what you did last night? And she looked at me thinking she was like 10 years old. And she said, I guess Rita was a bad little girl last night, wasn't she?
0: Bud Moss and I will go on to discuss his remembrances of Rita Hayworth and Hollywood in part three of our trilogy of interviews. But to close today, I would like to share a section from his book, Hollywood, The Reality is Better Than the Dream, published by Waterfront Press. Here lies the passion for his career.
2: Being an agent would become my life's blood from that day to this and my excitement about the business is undimmed. I'm still in the game, handling clients, dutifully trooping off to actor workshops and tiny film festivals. There is nothing I'd rather be doing. Musing over my lifetime of adventures with the famous and infamous, I had to ask myself, do I really need to write a book when there are so many other stellar accounts of the great movie stars, producers, Directors and agents? Is there anybody out there who cares to read about my own personal ups and downs, tragedies and triumphs over the decades? In the end, I decided to chronicle my life because I am reminded every day that the dream is still alive and well. Los Angeles is full of people chasing their dreams. Though the golden age of Hollywood has passed, showbiz is just as exciting and vital today. May those recollections inspire all those who dream. I wish for them all to enjoy just a few of the adventures I have had, find friends like those I've been privileged to know, and remain as awestruck and thrilled by this great business of show at my age as they are right now. To put it more eloquently, these recollections are what my longtime dear friend Jack Valente would call immortality passing on to succeeding generations the best of what has come before. This is the tie that binds young actors, writers, and dreamers together. Immortality, indeed.
0: I want to thank Bud Moss for being with me again today, and I hope my listeners will go to Center Stage with for more information on my shows. In the meantime, stay safe out there. This is Pamela Kuhn and the curtain is now down on center stage. Gave a trump such an ice cold no. For seven days they shovel snow, so you can put the blame on me, boy. Put the